This morning is Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. So we're at Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. This also is God's holy word. We'll begin reading from chapter 1, verse 1 through verse 14. This is God's holy word. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the Beloved." In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So that we would, we who were the first to hope in Christ, might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we should acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. May we go to our God and ask for his blessings on the reading and also the preaching of his holy word. Almighty God, we thank you, Father, that your word is truth. And Father, we pray that we would be humble before your word, that we would tremble, that we would believe your promises, that we would heed your warnings, that we would obey your commandments. Father, you have freely offered us your son, Jesus Christ, that he is our only hope for salvation. He is our only hope that sinners may be found righteous. But we acknowledge we have no righteousness of our own and our sins are too great to bear. We thank you, Father, that in Jesus we have our perfect righteousness and we receive it by faith apart from works. Father, we thank you for the good news of the gospel. We thank you, Father, that you have promised us a great inheritance and that you have given us your Holy Spirit as a seal of our salvation and an earnest of our inheritance. Father, we pray in thanks for your kindness. We thank you for your generosity. We thank you for your concern for our well-being and for our peace and joy. We pray, Father, that if any are here who do not know Jesus Christ, we pray, Father, that your Holy Spirit would do a mighty work. We pray that the gospel would go forth with power, that the Holy Spirit would transform our lives that we would live new lives for your glory. We pray, Father, that your Son, Jesus Christ, would be exalted, that your servant would be humbled. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen. There is a term that we often don't use or understand in our culture today. Uh, we, We kind of understand a pledge, 
right? A pledge we understand, not a pledge of allegiance, but a pledge of, uh, for example, in Genesis 38 for, for Judah, the pledge of the uh, young goat from the flock was the signet ring, uh, his cord, and his staff. So something you give in, ex in exchange. So uh, I, will pr I will promise you something. That's a young goat. When I give you the young goat, then I'll get my pledge back. What we have here in this passage is something beyond a pledge. It's actually an earnest. And an earnest, perhaps we would think in common terms, uh, well, we, though we don't use that word so often, it, we think of it in terms of a, a diamond engagement ring. A young man loves this young woman, and he buys this expensive ring. Right? It's supposed to be uh, two months, but then I think it went up to three months' salary, right? or whatever, whatever that might be. But the, the idea there is that he gives her something, right? and it's a promise of what is to come. Right? And, and it's not as if after he marries her that he gets the ring back. No, no, that's, that's hers. It's a foretaste, right? so to say. It's a foretaste of what's to come. So he gives her this ring, and, and then they get married, so he will fulfill on his promise. And in the same way, what we have in the Holy Spirit is this earnest, right? That, that the Holy Spirit is not this pledge that God gives you, and that when he gives you heaven, he takes the Holy Spirit away from you. No, no, he gives you the Holy Spirit. Jesus says that he will be with you forever. And that, in fact, the good news is that this Holy Spirit for you is actually a foretaste of heaven. A foretaste of heaven that he gives you even while you are on earth, despite your circumstances. So despite our circumstances, we have a foretaste of heaven, and it is the giving of the Holy Spirit to God's people as an earnest of what is to come. Here we have in the book of Ephesians, we've been going through this uh, chapter 1, and I mentioned that this, this section, chapter 1, verses 3 to 14, this is like two, over 200 words long, and it's one giant sentence in the original. And here uh, we have... In the, in the translation, right, it's broken up into sentences. You see the periods and whatnot. But this is, this is basically Apostle Paul. He's, he's coming out with this doxology. He's, he's bursting forth in a response of praise. He's giving thanks for so great a salvation that, that our God has given us. That we understand from the book of Ephesians, it presents Jesus Christ as our glorious Savior. And it speaks about his love for his bride, the church. The mention of mystery. Mystery is often mentioned right here. The mystery is revealed. And also this inheritance that is to come. These are terms that are often mentioned. So today we get to the last two verses of this long sentence, verses 13 and 14. And there we learn about the work of the Holy Spirit. So earlier, verses 3 to, 3 to 6, we learn about God's work, the Father's work, regarding our salvation. And then in verses 7 through 12, we learn about the work of the Son, Jesus Christ. And then verses 13 and 14 here, uh, we have the work of the Holy Spirit regarding your salvation. So the truth that we see in this passage is the Holy Spirit is both the assurance of your salvation and the guarantee of your promised inheritance of heaven. The Holy Spirit is both the assurance of your salvation and the guarantee of your promised inheritance of heaven. We'll look at this in two points. The first is, the Holy Spirit is the seal of your salvation, verse 13. And the second, the Holy Spirit is the pledge of your inheritance. So the first point, the Holy Spirit is the seal of your salvation, in verse 13. 
In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Here, we begin with these two words in verse 13, in him. So this is in Christ. Perhaps you, you're getting a little bit uh, bored. Perhaps you're getting uh, a little bit jaded by how often this is seen. That throughout this passage, verses 3 to 14, there's a constant mention, a constant reference to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Christ Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, in the Beloved, in Him. Right? You see how many times uh, these, these are used. That there's a constant, repre- uh, constant reference to Jesus Christ because your salvation centers around Him. That we ought never to forget that salvation never centers around you in the sense that what you have to do, right? It centers around Jesus, around what He has done. And it's a reminder to us that salvation is found in no one else, for there's no other name given to heaven among men by which we must be saved. It's Jesus alone. Jesus alone saves. That Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He's not a way, a truth, and a life. He is the way, the truth, and the life, and the only way, the only truth, the only life. It's only through Him. And I I know that that sounds exclusive. I know that that sounds impudent on my part, but if I were making it up, I would be impudent. But I'm not making up. I'm only repeating what our Lord said Himself. And as Christians, we proclaim what Jesus said. We, we, we don't make up things. We, we don't, uh, you think about a, uh, a messenger, right? A, a messenger doesn't open the message from the king, and then he, he, doesn't, uh, he doesn't extract or strike out certain things in the king's letter. No, he, he takes it and passes it on exactly as it is. This is what an ambassador is called to do. He rep- represents the king. Notice also here we have a change of pronouns right here earlier in the passage that the Apostle Paul is talking about we, right? Then, then in verse 13, he says, in him you also. So he changes to you. It seems as if he's talking about how uh, those who were the first the hope in Christ, was he talking about himself and, and the, the Jews of the past? And then now he's talking about Ephesians. These would have been Gentiles. That they also are those who were brought in. They, they were engrafted. They were engrafted into the, the, olive, uh, the olive shoot. Here, we have a mention, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth. Here, there's a contrast to truth. That when you heard the word of truth, the word of the gospel, the contrast to what is all around us, what is everywhere, is that there is lies and deception. There's the lies and deception of the world, and in contrast to that, you have the truth that comes from God. Ephesians 4.14, as a result, we are no longer to be children, tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness in deceitful scheming. There's, there's all kinds of ways that uh, outside the church, inside the church, that the gospel will be obscured. The easiest way is that people simply stop talking about it. Simply put, they just stop talking about it. Or they start, they keep using the same words, but the words don't actually mean the same thing. Have, have you noticed that? This is, this is oftentimes what happens. So, so the, the, uh, the, the enemy comes into the seminaries, right? And, and they come in through the scholars, so the PhDs. Hey, we're, 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 we're teaching 
uh, you know, scholar. We, we need to have the respect of scholars, right? So, so they go to the secular sources, and then in order to get the scholarship, right, and the respect, the, the secular scholars are saying, hey, you Christians, come on, you, you, you cross this, toe this line, cross this line, cross this line, right? And, and then, then we'll give you respect. And the answer is they'll never get it, right? They'll never get it. And in, in fact, they're going to sell out their inheritance, right, in that way. But then they start using these terminologies, the same terminologies, but then they don't mean the same thing. Then you have various trends that come, right? And, and it distracts the church from living out and preaching the good news of the gospel. Here, what we know about the lies and the deception of the world is that there is flux and there's change. There's instability. Every wind of doctrine, trickery of men, craftiness of deceitful scheming, standards and the rules are constantly changing. There was a time when, when uh, the values changed by a generation. And then, then after some time, values changed by a decade. And I don't know about you, but it seems like right now the values change by the month. Right? So, so, so quickly, right? The, what we talk about is the goalposts keep moving, right? The goalposts keep moving. So wait, wait a minute. I thought this was important. No, no, no. No, no. Yeah, now, now this is. And then you, you get into this. Oh, shoot. I, I, I have to keep up with the Joneses. You know, I have to keep up with the trends. And the answer is hey, why, why, why follow the trends at all? Why, why, why is it the case that, that we have to, we as the church, should, should be following the ways of the world? And depending who you ask, right? Say, hey, you know exactly where the world is because the church will be seven years or uh, ten years behind, behind them, right? So the church is saying the same thing, but they're just, you know, passe, right? They're seven years behind. It takes, it takes the church time to catch up to, to the, the trends of the world. And, and it so happens that the people of the world, they love to be swept off their feet, right? They love, they love hearing things that are too good to be true, Right? They know they're being lied to, but they, they want to be lied to. They want to be lied to. And one of the, one of the things that you'll know about uh, these every wind of doctrine is that everyone will be talking about it. Right? Because the whole goal is that it would obscure the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Right? They're going to obscure the gospel of the message of Jesus Christ. And, and in fact, within the church, it will be... The deception will be so, so bad that they're going to tell you that, no, the thing that we're talking about instead of the gospel, it is the gospel. It's all about the gospel. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 13, there's the warning, but evil men and imposters will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. So on one hand, they're, they're deceiving others, but they're also being deceived. And in contrast to that, you have the words of Jesus that are the truth. Jesus says, and it is the spirit who gives life, the flesh profits nothing. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and are life. Here Jesus is telling you that his words indeed are life. Isn't this what the disciples said to him? The same passage? John chapter 6, <clears throat> Jesus is saying something along the lines of, you just eat my flesh and drink my blood if you're going to have eternal life. And, and then he had all these crowds of people there listening to him. And, and then they said, wow, this man is crazy. So they, they said, we're not, we're not listening to this. They all left. And then, then he's, Jesus is left with these 12 men. And he looks at them. And, and it's like, hey, Jesus, what are you trying to do? Right? 
Don't you want the crowd? And, and he asked him, hey, do you want to go away too? Don't you guys want to go also? And you're asking, hey, what is Jesus? Is he, is he trying to be a one-man show here? Is, is he trying to be a loner? And, and their response to them is what it, it demonstrates they understood what it's all about. To whom shall we go? For you have the very words of eternal life. Meaning, no matter how bad, no matter how, how bad, how difficult the message is, no matter how unpopular that message is, that the very words that you're speaking are eternal life to us. That the, the requirement to forsake our sins, to repent of our sins and, and leave them behind and, and embrace the promises of the gospel, that, that is eternal life. And, and we can't get that anywhere else but you, Jesus. Believing in Jesus, regarding this matter of truth, believing in Jesus requires then a departure. It requires a separation from what is false. We read that earlier in Ephesians 4.25. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. This means... You look, at the, you look at the Corinthians, right, and all the things that went on there. First, first Corinthians 6, right, that uh, there, there must not be swindlers, right? So leaving a life of sin behind and following Jesus Christ, hey, we're, we're leaving the huckstering and, and the swindling behind. Hey, listen, we're not going to be doing these false dealings because that's no longer of us. The, the currency we once used, we, we now use a new currency, and that currency is called truth. When before it was falsehood, deceptions, right, impressions, intimidations. Now we're only dealing with a new, a new currency, and that currency is called truth. Because we follow Jesus Christ, the lies, the deception must come to an end. We cannot, on one hand, hold on to the lies of the world, and on the other hand, try to cling to Christ. A falsehood must be left behind. Continuing there in verse 13, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Here, it's as if he's referring back to all the things that he addressed from, from verse, verse 3 and 4 on. That here, the reminder is that the gospel is the good news. The gospel is nothing other than good news. It's good news to sinners. Here, Jesus reminds us that he did not come to call the righteous. He came to call sinners. It's not, it's not those who are physically well who need a doctor. It's those who are ill. It's those who are spiritually dead. Those who are sick who need Jesus Christ. That he didn't come to call righteous. He came to call sinners. And this is what we claim to be when we claim to need Jesus Christ. That we are sinners. And this is indeed is good news. He speaks in verse 4 regarding the gospel about being chosen in Christ. That we might be holy and blameless before him. That he didn't call us so that we would continue on in our favorite sinful ways. No, he called us out of that. So that you might have new life in Jesus Christ. You are a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. He has predestined us to adoption through Christ. The reason why you and I have an inheritance is because we have been adopted through Jesus Christ. And he shares his inheritance with us. That's why we have an inheritance. Otherwise, we would have none. 
There's redemption through Christ's blood. So, redemption is that which is lost. And that having been redeemed, you and I are set free by the blood of Christ. The, the payment was Christ's blood. He set us free. We, we who sin were in bondage to sin. But he sets us free in Jesus Christ. He speaks about, in verse 7, the forgiveness of our trespasses. That we have sinned, that we've transgressed God's law. And this should weigh heavy upon our hearts, upon our consciences. And that you and I have, have our guilt removed. Our consciences can be washed clean. Only because of the perfect work and sacrifice of Jesus Christ. In verse 9, this good news of the gospel, this mystery has been made known to us. Meaning that in Jesus, everything holds together. Everything comes back together because the whole world revolves around him. That he reveals the mystery, and that's the will for your salvation in Jesus Christ. In verse 11, God speaks about the generous inheritance of heaven that comes through Christ. And that's the good news of the gospel. That you, who are enemies of Christ, enemies of God, that you who are far away can be brought near by the gospel of Jesus Christ. That you who have sins on your account, that these sins can be washed away by the blood of Jesus Christ. The righteousness that you and I lack, we have true righteousness in Jesus Christ. None of our own, all of His. And that He commands you that you might receive this good news by faith. That you might believe upon His promise. We're told here that the timing, the timing of the sealing of the Spirit. In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. So some of you might be asking, well, well, wait a minute, it sounds like it's saying that we, we believe and then we're sealed. That's correct. You believe and you're sealed. Well, we have to clarify this for a moment here. Uh, it's, it's not as if that's the first act of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit beforehand, before you believed, did the work of regeneration. This is the work of giving spiritual birth in order for you to believe. So you are given life, right? We are dead in our trespasses and sins, and that he gives us life so that we might respond to the gospel in faith. And after that, there is this sealing of the Spirit. And we think about this sealing of the Spirit, and we think about the meaning. The seal is a guarantee of authenticity. It's a guarantee of authenticity. Have you, have you ever opened a product? For example, if you buy uh, a product like Microsoft Word or Excel or Windows, right? You, it comes in this package, and you, you have, at least in the past, they used to have like this, it's, it's probably mylar, or it looks, looks like a shiny piece of aluminum foil with like this rainbow pattern on it. And that is a seal. That's a mark of authenticity. It's, it's not because it was copycatted, right, by some other group that said, hey, we're going to sell you this product. No, we, we know it comes from Microsoft because there's that seal on it. So this seal is upon Jesus, John chapter 6, verse 27. 
do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. So on, on Jesus, he has the Father's mark of authenticity and for him authority. Here, the seal is also a mark of ownership, that we are owned by God. That uh, regarding cattle, you think about uh, in various ranches in, uh, in the country, right? The, there would be a branding iron. You put this hot iron with the special pattern. You put it in the fire, and they, they brand it on, on, the, on the side, the hide of cattle, so that if, if ever this cattle were to get loose, right, get off, get off the land, and, and, and the neighbor says, hey, finders keepers, I just got this expensive cow. You know, this is, this is great. Supply, su- supply me for the whole year. And I say, hey, no, no, no. Look at, look at the brand mark, right? That's our cow, even though it's on your property. Right and here, the, the mark, the seal, is also a mark of ownership. The seal is also a mark of security and safety. In Ephesians 4.30, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So the seal of the Holy Spirit is for your security and for your safety. Now when was this Holy Spirit promised? We're told here that there was a promised Holy Spirit. It was promised by Jesus in John chapter 14 before he left. He said that he would send another. He would send a helper. And this is the Holy Spirit. That you ask, why, why does God bother to give us a seal of the Holy Spirit? God seals his people with the Holy Spirit in order to give his people the assurance of salvation. So to give, the, to give his people salvation is one thing. But then he also gives his people the assurance of salvation. And I hope you can see that the two things are are not identical. Someone can have salvation, but not be assured of it. And at times, God, in fact, with his children, if they're living in disobedience, they're living in rebellion, he actually takes away that assurance. That's one of the ways that he disciplines his children. Now, some of you might be asking right now, wait a minute, aren't there all kinds of people who, who think they're saved, but they're not? Is, is there such a thing as false assurance? He said, well, certainly there is, right? And, and maybe we can talk about what are the marks of a true believer, right? Are, are they confessing Jesus Christ? Are they living a life that is consistent with the gospel, right? Are they living according to the spirit? Our elder Wayne read earlier in Ephesians chapter 4 regarding the life of change, taking off the old self, putting on the new self. That if, if someone is, claims to be a believer, but he lives like an unbeliever, right? then there should be no assurance. There, there can be no claim of assurance. And of course, there can be false hopes of assurance. right? Here, we ought to understand that God gives salvation freely to his people, and he also desires that we would know that we are saved that this is for our good. And he gives us the spirit who bears witness that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, we're told, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. 
Understandably, the lack of assurance tends to produce all kinds of bad fruit. In John chapter 14, Jesus said, Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. So here, Jesus is concerned not only for your salvation, but he's concerned also that you might have assurance of salvation. Because he understands, wait a minute, if, if someone is saved, but they don't think they're saved, there's going to be a lot of anxiety. There's going to be a lot of preoccupation about various things. This is what it means for a heart to be troubled or for a heart to be fearful. Jesus spoke about how he says, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. Right? He's going to send the Holy Spirit. Try to think for a moment what a person would look like if they're anxious, if they're preoccupied, if they fear the fires of hell, right? What are they going to be doing? They're going to be preoccupied with that problem, of this eternity. And then there, there would be a lack of productivity, a lack of diligence, because they're entirely focused on, hey, I'm, I'm outside, I'm, I'm under God's judgment. Right? So this is why he, he grants assurance to people. That lack of assurance tends to produce this bad fruit. Uh, it tends to produce, for example, when, when people don't have assurance, then instead of looking to God for assurance, they start looking at other men, other people. It results in pride. It results in rivalry. Think about what this Pharisee said in Luke chapter 18, verse 11. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. You see here, you have a man who is trusting in his self-righteousness, and because he lacks assurance, right, then the end result is that he has to compare himself and exalt himself over others. This anxiety and worry and despair that results from a lack of assurance Produces a use, uh, produces a uselessness or an unfruitfulness, according to Second Peter one. So we ought to understand that God, in His mercy, God is in His mercy is concerned about your eternal state and your safety, but also about your present peace. That's what this assurance is about: that you might have present peace, that the Lord is with you, the Lord saves you, that He's given you His Holy Spirit that you might have peace and joy according to Him. So this is the first point. The Holy Spirit is the seal of your salvation. They have also, the second point, the Holy Spirit is the pledge of your inheritance, in verse 14, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. Here, we go back to the story about Judah and Tamar. And we get to the place where you have what's called the haggle or, or the bargain. So he agrees. He, he, he finds this woman who's got this veil on, and apparently he's, he's not wise enough to tell that, hey, this is actually his daughter-in-law. He, he, he doesn't figure that out. And he haggles with her about the wages of a prostitute. He says, I'll give you this young goat. But this woman is also wise enough, hey, wait a minute. How do I know you'll never come back here again? I, I, I need some kind of pledge. 
So she asks for, hey, uh, your signet ring, right? So the signet ring had a special pattern on it, so uh, it, it would tend to be put into some kind of clay or, or, or wax to, to seal something. His cord and his staff. So the cord and the staff apparently were things that were recognized. They, people had a staff, and it was a distinct staff, and everyone would know, oh, yeah, that staff belongs to so-and-so. And here, the expectation, she says, Will you give me a pledge until you send it? So until you send the young goat, will you give me a pledge? She asked for these three items. Then with his friend, the Adulamite, he sends this young goat. And when Judah sent the young goat by his friend, the Adulamite, to take back the pledge from the woman's hand, he did not find her. That's verse 20. So the understanding is that the pledge gets returned when the payment is made. And we understand pledges, right? that we're, we're told the Holy Spirit is a pledge, you know, depending on how we translate it. But really, the Holy Spirit is far more than that. It's actually an earnest. And the difference is that the pledge is returned when the promise to pay is fulfilled. But for the earnest, the earnest is not returned. The earnest is not returned, but functions as the first installment of payment. Meaning that the Holy Spirit is given by God. As Jesus said, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. That he may be with you forever. And it's, it's not just a temporary thing until you get heaven. He gives you the Holy Spirit. It's the first installment, so to say. Now, perhaps some of you are still thinking about <clears throat> Judah there. And what we can say is this. When you look at any of the accounts of the Old Testament, New Testament saints, no, notice that the Bible never describes God's people as perfect. That we ought to walk away thinking, wow, this, this guy Jacob, he was a deceiver. This guy Judah, I mean, would, would you want such a man in, in your lineage, right? And, and on one hand, it's kind of laughable. Hey, this, this man has, he has apparently no... No people skills. So listen to how he talks to this woman. He's horrible. Right? And look at what he's trying to do. Why, why would why we want this whoremonger as part of our part of our lineage? Then you think about the good news of the gospel, right? Is, is that not the Apostle Paul saying to the Corinthians, such were some of you? Right? That here we have the story of Judah, right? Who can claim the merits of their own? This is showing us that God did not call righteous people to be saved. When you look at the lineage of Jesus in, in Matthew chapter 1, right? Anytime a woman's name was mentioned, it was sin involved, right? Otherwise, the, the lineage would all be men. But then you have these names of women, and every time it was sin involved. And, and it wasn't as if, hey, this is something that, that, that God was ashamed of. Hey, he says, hey, these women, these men, uh, these things involved, that's, these are my beloved people. And that you and I ought to understand that no one has any boast when it comes to the good news of the gospel, right? We don't boast as if, hey, I only needed this little bit of grace and you needed this much. No, 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 no. That we all go to the gospel, go to the fountain of grace, and we, we have to drink deeply of it. We admit our need for it, our great need of it. If ever we're thinking, no, 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 I didn't need that much of it, then we don't fully understand the depravity of our own sin, our need for a Savior, right? As, as you grow in Jesus Christ, you come to understand how much it is that 
You are that great sinner. I am that great sinner. We think about this pledge that God gives. God gives the Holy Spirit to his people as an earnest of heaven. And this earnest is a foretaste of heaven itself. But you might ask, well, wait a minute. Look at my life. My life is in shambles. There's discord all around me. There's, there's turmoil everywhere I look around me in my life. Well, isn't that why you need such a blessing as the Holy Spirit? And notice that, as our elder Wayne mentioned, the Holy Spirit is not a thing. The Holy Spirit is a He. It's a person who indwells you. And especially important when there's turmoil all around you. That God gives you a foretaste of heaven itself. You think about this guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. He's saying, hey, I'm going to give you a foretaste of heaven. And it comes by the work of the Holy Spirit. You think about the matters. Isaiah 26. That God keeps in perfect peace those who trust in Him. How expensive is it to have peace? How expensive is it to have joy? We ought to understand that it comes from no one else but God. You can't buy peace. You can't buy joy. God gives it. These are the fruits of the Spirit. This is how we know that He is with us. And that He desires that you might have this present enjoyment right now. Think about the, the joy that you have of the fellowship of the saints. You think about what heaven will be. Right? You think about what heaven will be. You have the fellowship with the saints. And you have the love that exists between brothers and sisters in Christ. The fellowship that we share. It's a great thing. It's an excellent thing. Think for a moment about the worship of God. That entire, the entire Lord's Day is Sunday, right? It ought to be a foretaste of heaven. The worship service ought to be a foretaste of heaven. Think about your sanctification. Talk about a step function, right? In math, there's a step function. So, so here, wherever you are in your sanctification, boom, suddenly, vertical line, complete. When heaven comes for you, your sin entirely removed. Perhaps you're too focused on, hey, heaven means no one else will sin against me anymore. I won't be cheated or, or harmed or abused or anything like that. But how often do we think about, no, wait a minute. I sin against other people. That no longer are we as concerned about, hey, others sinning against us. What about our sins against other people? And, and the pain and the discord that you and I bring upon others and upon ourselves. Sanctification completely done. And your peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Your love for Jesus and for God the Father. The descriptions about heaven is that we will know him and we will see him as he is. That we will be like him because our sin will be removed. Even, even the, the inclination to sin, the ability to sin will be removed. And the very description of he will wipe every tear from our eyes. There'll be no more sadness. Think about this life even today. Despite our circumstances, right? He's given you the Holy Spirit. And that is the grounds for which you can have peace and joy.
But your conscience can be clear because Jesus washes away our sins. And that's far better than the world can offer. Understand that Jesus is the one who takes care of the eternal matters. But he also takes care of your present situation. That you can have peace and joy in Jesus Christ. Because he's given you the Holy Spirit as a pledge. He's given it to you as a seal. May we go to our God together in prayer. Our Lord God, we thank you, Father, that you indeed are holy and righteous. Father, we pray. In-